Don't we have an awesome choir? They do such a great job. Thank y'all for y'all's service. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come now to this time of opening your word, Lord, we just pray that you would open our, our hearts. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, to hear your word to us today. It is your word. Your command to us. So let us hear your word. And Lord, not just receive it as we would receive uh, news from a newspaper. But Lord, that we would take it as your word to us. Meant to change our hearts. May we heed Your Word. May we be transformed by Your Word. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Philippians. Continuing on, we're finishing up chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21 this morning. So we're we're drawing near to the end of the book of Philippians. Now, if you remember in chapter 3 here, Paul has been, he, he began chapter 3 with a warning telling us, uh, beware, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So he's been warning us about, uh, about false teachers, and then he moved on to contrast him, himself against the false teachers. So here's the false teachers, here's what they do, now here is me. And, and so he kind of contrasted himself, put himself up against the false teachers. And now he ends this, uh, this little section of Philippians with this exhortation. Now here's what you do with all that I have been telling you. So we are getting into that today, discovering joy Prudence in imitation. Prudence in imitation. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So, as we read, then stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, today we return to this theme of imitation of 
imitating, looking for examples, looking for mentors to follow and imitate. Now, if you've been following along with this study, with us in this study, you know that Paul has already been, been talking some about this. As, uh, you look back over the course of this, he, he has told us that he's kind of put himself up as an example to follow him, and he put uh, Timothy and Aphroditus up as men to which we ought to look and follow their example. These are uh, examples of godly men. We should look to them, and now he returns to this same theme. It seems to be a prevalent theme throughout this book. Why is that the case? Why is this such an important thing for Paul to, to drive home to us? Well, I think there's, there's two reasons. First of all, it's because we have a natural inclination towards imitation. We have a natural inclination towards uh, imitation. Uh, from our very beginning as little, child, uh, little children growing up. The way we begin to learn how to do things in life is we, we look up to our parents and, and we watch them. We observe what they do. We observe how they walk, how they talk, and, and we begin to imitate them, right? You, you young men or you, you older men even, guys, you remember growing up as a child. Perhaps you were like me. I remember, uh, you know, my dad, he had his razor. He, he uses an electric razor, and so he had his razor out, and, and I would watch him. Well, then I wanted to imitate him, and so I would get his razor out, and I would stand there in the mirror and, and act like I was shaving. So we imitate by nature. We just imitate others. And that continues all life long. The way we learn how to play sports is we look at others who play sports and we imitate them. And so we are, have this natural inclination towards imitation. But there's another reason. The second reason, I think, is because many, there are many out there who uh, are vying for our admiration and imitation. Have you ever heard the quote, uh, imitation is the greatest form of flattery? That's true. And there are a lot of people out there who are vying for our admiration. They want us to look to them and follow them. That's a, a prideful thing, isn't it? It builds one, one uh, up, builds someone up when, and when they can look and see how many people, uh, people's lives that they are affecting, those who are coming along after them. So we have this natural inclination towards imitation, and then we have a multiple, uh, multitude of people out there who are vying for our admiration, longing for us to imitate them. And that is part of the problem here that Paul is dealing with. You have these false teachers, these dogs, these, these who mutilate the flesh, these evildoers. And they are vying for the attention, the admiration of this church. Paul aims to warn them about these false teachers, and he says, instead of following them, you need to look at me, imitate me, join brothers in imitating me, and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul, as he gives us this warning then, we see this final warning in this chapter, be prudent in choosing whom you imitate. 
for many solicitors of your admiration will lead you down the path of destruction. Let me say that again. Be prudent, dear Christian, in choosing whom you imitate. For many solicitors of your admiration will lead you down the path of destruction. So as we begin to look at this then, Paul begins by giving one declaration, one imperative, one command, and then two explanations of why that uh, command is so important. So we begin then with the, the declaration, the exhortation here, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul begins by saying this command to us, this imperative, imitate the godly. Imitate the godly. Don't imitate those false teachers, but imitate the godly. Imitate me, as he has already laid out that example, and imitate those who walk according to the example you have in us. We are called to imitate the godly. Now, what does the godly look like? We've been talking about that over the course of the last few weeks, but let's just take this as a time of reminder the godly, first of all, are those who are Christ-centered. The godly are those who are Christ-centered. Look back up in chapter 3 there at verses 7 and 8. Paul says of himself, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is one who is absolutely Christ-centered. You remember that Paul, as he is writing this letter, this letter about joy, Right? That's, that's his main thing. The main thing throughout this letter is joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And all the while that he is writing this letter, telling the Christians there at the church of Philippi to rejoice in the Lord, he himself is sitting in a Roman prison. Not the most joyful scenes in the world, is it? But yet he says, even in my condition, even in this place, I have uh, joy inexpressible and full of glory. I have joy because I have Christ. You remember back there in chapter 1 when Paul talked about there are those who are out there and they, they're preaching the gospel. Me being in prison has it, caused the gospel to expand and to go out. There are some out there who are, are indeed, they're, they're preaching Christ out of goodwill, knowing that, that that's what I'm here for. But then there are those out there that they're doing it out of selfish ambition, looking to hurt me in some way. They want to hurt Paul. But Paul says, what of, what of it? In all things, I rejoice because Christ is being preached. <laughs> the gospel is being preached. Christ is being praised. And people are coming to Christ. 
What does it matter where I am? What does it matter of my condition, my situation in life? Christ is supreme. And if Christ is being proclaimed and people are being drawn to Christ, praise God. His life was completely centered around Christ. Dear friend, if you're looking to imitate someone, someone to, to follow, look for those whose life centers around Christ. Christ is everything to them. They can't, they can't speak a whole sentence hardly without putting the name of Christ in there. And I don't mean that in a vulgar way. I mean that in a good way. They love Jesus. Look to those whose life is centered around Christ. And dear friend, let me just say, center your life around Christ. Be one of those who are worthy of imitation by centering your whole life around Christ. Everything, everything must be about Him, must be focused upon Him, done to give Him glory and honor. If your whole life is focused on Christ, if your whole life is focused on Christ and, and building up your relationship with Christ, then everything else in your life will work out. You want to know how to, to raise your children up in a godly way? Focus your life on Christ. Center your life around Christ. Give them that example. You want to see your marriage thrive? then you individually focus on Christ. Let Christ be the center of everything and your marriage will be glorious. Whatever it is, if you are Christ-centered, you will know joy. Everlasting joy. No matter the situation. And all will be Great and grand. At every stage of life, you will be able to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Imitate those who are godly, those who are Christ centered. The second characteristic of, of the godly here that Paul has, has kind of unfolded for us imitate those who trust in God's righteousness. Those who trust in God's righteousness, verse 9, and be found in Christ, in Him, found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. You remember, that's the Judaizers. They were talking about a righteousness that is derived, yes, from Christ, but plus works of the law. And Paul has been showing no no, our works, all of our works is as if, if they're like filthy rags. We can't trust on our own works. We've got to count our own works as loss, as rubbish, as dung. For the glory of knowing Christ and being found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own but that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Look to those, look to imitate those who they know who their Savior is. Those who, who know that they are sinners. 
Because that's what each and every one of us are. We are all sinners and we cannot save ourselves. All of our, our righteous deeds that we could ever come up with cannot get us to God. Because sin still stains our lives. Mary Beth was talking this week about a, a book she's been reading, and the, the author of this book was talking about this. You know, there's some of us that, that we can look really good at this whole Christian thing. But we can look really good at it. And, and, we, and we look better than some. But you know, it's kind of like reaching God through our own righteousness. It's kind of like jumping from L.A. to Hawaii, right? One might can jump five feet. One might can jump uh, 15 feet. You know, I don't know. But still, no matter how far you can jump, you're never going to reach Hawaii on your own. You can't do it. Our righteousness will never get us there. It's only the righteousness of Christ. Trusting in Christ. Knowing that He died on the cross taking on our sin. And He was raised again so that He might clothe us in His righteousness. His lawfulness. So we don't trust in our own righteousness. The godly never trusts in their own righteousness, but trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the godly who are worthy of our imitation are those who are Christ-centered. Those who trust in the righteousness of God. God's righteousness in Jesus Christ our Lord. And third, those who eagerly pursue godliness. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. That is, those who are godly, they, they know where they are in Christ Jesus. They know that, that Christ calls them to work out their own salvation in fear and trembling because it is God who is working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure, Paul has already told us in Philippians. We know that as we trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. To work in us, to change our will, to change our desires, to give us a, a desire to do the good works that God calls us to, that God has created beforehand, so that may, we, we may walk in them, Ephesians chapter 2. And so as we begin to look to Christ, we, we strive to, to see that life come to its fullest. Striving for godliness. Striving to, to become more like Christ. Knowing that we'll never do it perfectly. But knowing that God is working in us to get us there. And so we strive towards godliness. Forgetting about past sin. Looking forward to what lies ahead. The godliness that God has called us to. So the godly who are worth imitating are those who are Christ-centered, those who trust in the righteousness of Christ, and those who eagerly pursue godliness. They want to be like Jesus. And fourth, those who press for the goal of God's call. Those who press for the goal of God's call. Look there in verse 14 then. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God 
in Christ Jesus. Now this is very similar to that other one, but, but I think there's, there's a slight distinction that can be made here. Look to those who are, are striving for the call of God in their lives. That is, those who are, are active in the church. Active in the church. Active using their gifts and their talents that God has given them in the body of believers so that they may pour into the lives of others and see others come to the to, to fullness, to the maturity of, of Christ Jesus. You see, each and every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not called to, to do life alone. In fact, part of that being reconciled, the reconciliation that God offers in Christ Jesus is one, being reconciled to God, but also being reconciled to one another. So that our sin no longer tears us apart, but our relationship to Jesus Christ pulls us together. And God calls us, he, he equips each and every believer with a gift to be used within the body of Christ, the church, to be used there so that we minister to one another. It's not just about me coming up here and preaching to, to you in the seats every week, right? God has given me that gift and I use that in the body of believers, but there's others here. You, your gift is to pray. Now, while we all should pray and should have an active prayer life, there are those who have that gift, and I mean, it just they pray all the time, and, and it's just a gift. And I know there's many prayer warriors in here who have the gift of prayer who are praying for me week after week, and I praise God for that. God works in me and, and, and builds me up because of your prayers. There are those who have the gift of encouragement. And you are called to be here in this body of believers and encourage people when they're down and out. You, you're the one who comes along and says, but look what God is doing. And you encourage and you build them up. Look to those who are active in the life of the church using the gifts and talents that God has given them to build up the whole body of believers. You know, we, we know as we experienced, uh, you know, last December, I was called here, right? The pastor is called here. Brother Larry has been called here as a minister of music. Brother David has been called here by God to be a minister uh, of families. But each and every one of you are called here. If God has brought you to this place and you're a member here, God has called you here. You have purpose here. A purpose to build up the whole body and to be built up by the body. So look to those who are working in the local body, pressing on to the call that God has put upon their lives. So we imitate those who are Christ-centered, those who trust in God's righteousness, those who eagerly pursue godliness, and those who press for the goal of God's call, just as Paul pressed on for the goal of God's call in his ministry. So there's Paul's proposition. Right? There's, there's his declaration, his command. 
Imitate me and keep your eyes on, watch those, imitate those who walk according to the example you have in us. Then he goes on to tell why we should imitate the godly. Now, notice there, after that, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us for if you have your, if you write in your, circle that far, for, because, you, you could say, because many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Let me just stop for a moment and just point that out. Many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears. Do you feel Paul's compassion. Here are these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh who are out there preaching a false gospel. And Paul says, I tell you with tears, they walk as enemies of Christ. It's not this rage against them. But he has a heart of compassion. Oh, that they would see the truth and come to know Christ with tears. With tears. He mourns the fact that these are enemies of the cross. In Romans, he says, what about the the Israelites? What about the Jews? Oh, if I myself could be a curse and they come to know Christ. Oh, could you say that? Could you say, let me go to hell, Lord, if you would only save them? That's what Paul is saying. We're to never be, it be an attitude, even towards false teachers, that we wish them hell. We should have a heart of compassion. Oh, if they would only come to know Christ. Are you praying for those leaders out there whom you know they're enemies of the cross? They're they're making decisions as enemies of the cross of Christ. Are you praying for them? Are you praying that God would touch their hearts and, and draw them to Himself? Are you praying for those false teachers who preach on TV week after week leading millions of people astray? Are you praying that God would transform their hearts? Paul had a compassion even for these dogs, these evildoers, wanting them to come to know salvation of Jesus Christ. He says, many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. We are to follow we're to imitate the godly because one enemies of christ lead astray enemies of christ lead astray these are people who are there they're coming to the church as as messengers of light right they're they're coming and they got some good things to say right they they offer yes jesus christ plus They look good. They know all the talk, but they're leading people astray. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 through 15. 
even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So we need to be careful of whom we follow. We need to look at their lives and examine their lives and see if they're worthy to be followed. Worthy of our imitation. Because there's many out there who can walk a walk and talk the talk, but they're leading down the wrong path. They're leading to the path of destruction. And that's what we see here. That's why Paul says be imitators of the godly. Because enemies of Christ lead astray. These are the ones, he says, who whose way leads to destruction. Their end is destruction. That's his descriptor of them. His first descriptor of these guys. These people. Their end is destruction. Their way, their path, it doesn't lead to righteousness. It doesn't lead to God. It leads to destruction. It leads to hell. Eternal destruction. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Those who are not godly, those whose lives are not centered around Christ, those who do not trust in the righteousness of God, but those evildoers, those who, who lead you astray, they will lead you down the path of destruction, the path that leads to the devil's hell. Those who are enemies of Christ, they are the ones whose, whose God is self-desire. Their God is self-desire. Notice the second descriptor that he gives of these. Their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about their, their fleshly desires and their, their fleshly appetites. Belly here is, is metaphorical. It means here the desires for gratification of the body, the, the physical desires, the, body, the desires of the body. You remember there in Genesis chapter 3, as Eve was tempted by the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, she said it, it was good to, she saw that it was good to the eyes. It, looked, it was beautiful looking fruit, it looked so good. It was good to, to eat. It was tasty. You see, there's, there's a couple of the things right there. Their, their God is their belly. Their God is for the fleshly desires. The, those, those desires of, of, for material things. The things of this world. But the third thing there was that it was also desirable to make them like God, there's the pride of life. 
those whose path leads to destruction, those who are enemies of the cross, their God is their own selfish desire, those base desires of the flesh. They, they want material things. They want worldly wealth. They want worldly fame to build up their pride. Look to who you are, are, are imitating. Look to those role models. What's their goal? What is their God? What is the greatest thing that they're striving to accomplish in life? Is it to build wealth? Is it to build fame? Is it to make themselves look good in, in front of a crowd? Don't follow them. Don't follow them. Their God is not Christ. Their God is their belly, their own base desires. On base sinful desires and their way leads to everlasting destruction. My goodness, look at our world. How many people are out here in our world vying for our admiration and they, they sing about sex, drugs, and the accumulation of wealth and fame. And that's who our world puts forward as this is your role model. This is who you ought to follow. Don't follow them. Don't follow them. Don't let that be the person that you imitate. In fact, block out what they have to say. Turn it off. Look to those who are centered around Christ. For those people... Their path leads to destruction, but the godly who are Christ-centered, their path, their way leads to eternal life. So, these enemies of the cross are those who, whose way leads to destruction, whose God is selfish, base, desire, and who glory in themselves. They glory in themselves. Paul says they glory in their shame. What is he talking about? What does he mean they glory in their shame? Remember, this is talking about the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. One of the things that these Judaizers were preaching and teaching was that, yes, you, you have to have Christ, but you also have to have circumcision. And if you don't have circumcision, then you're not going to be saved. You've got to keep the law too. And Paul says that's baloney. That's baloney. It's not about circumcision. It's about Christ. And these are the ones who, who they glory in themselves. They glory in what they have done. They pride themselves in that which, uh, which should be hidden in this, these Judaizers' case, the circumcision. One commentator says, the word shame here can be taken as meaning nakedness or private parts, by which accordingly is meant that they glory in the circumcised part of their body. They don't glory in Christ. They say, look at me. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have accomplished for God. Won't God be so proud of me? And they're always drawing the attention to me, to myself. Don't follow them. Don't follow them. Run from them. They're enemies of Christ. Those who are worthy of imitation are those who say, look at Christ. Look at Christ. 
I was a failure. I was a sinner. I was on the path of destruction. But Christ came and gave me life. That's who you follow. Those who are enemies of the cross, those are the ones whose way leads to destruction, whose God is self-desire, who glory in themselves, and finally, who are worldly focused. And I think we've covered that much already. They are focused on worldliness with minds set on earthly things. Again, these are the ones, their, their striving life is worldly. It's worldly fame. Worldly possessions. Not looking to heaven. Not looking to the resurrection. Not looking to everlasting life in Christ. But they look to the world and worldly things. They follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, those who are worldly. So reason number two, reason number one, that you, you follow the godly, you imitate the godly, is our one, number one, reason number one, because enemies of Christ lead astray. Reason number two, number three on your hand out there, because citizens of heaven seek more. Citizens of heaven seek more. Look at verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Praise God. You follow the godly because if you are in Christ Jesus, you seek more than what this world has to offer. You seek heavenly treasures. You seek Christ. These are the ones, they, they seek a Savior, supreme in value. If you are a citizen of heaven, you seek a Savior who is supreme in value. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who Paul says is supreme. Got all things is lost. The supreme worth, the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Do you know the supreme value of Jesus Christ? Do you know how much He is worth? Oh, the, the people of this world, the enemies of the cross, they seek gold, they seek money, they seek the treasures of this world. But those whose citizenship is, is, is in heaven, they don't seek the treasures of this world, they seek the one who created the treasures of this world. Are you seeking Him who is above everything? Are you seeking the base things, the ridiculous things of this world? Seek Christ. If you're a citizen of heaven, if you're trusting in Him, seek Christ who is supreme. Citizens of heaven seek a Savior supreme in value and they seek glorious transformation. I'll just add the third one here. And they seek 
glorious resurrection. These kind of work together, so we'll just cover them at one time. They see glorious transformation, and they see glorious resurrection. Look at the last who will transform our lowly body. Christ will transform our lowly body. This old body suffering from the effects of the fall, suffering from sin. This body that has illness. This body that knows weakness. This lowly, earthly body. It will be transformed to be like His glorious body, Christ's glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. We look forward to glorious transformation in the glorious resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42-43. through 43, Paul says, So, So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, this body, what is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Oh man, what a glorious transformation we had to look forward to. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's Jesus. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second, the second man from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as it is, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Dear friend, if you trust in Jesus Christ, if your life is in Him, then you look forward to the day of glorious transformation when this old body of weakness will be transformed to a body of glory. An everlasting body. No longer subject to the ills of this world but that lives for all of eternity. We seek, those of heaven seek glorious transformation and they seek glorious resurrection continuing on there in verse 50. 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. We seek glorious resurrection. 
What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the One who saved me by His grace. Are you seeking a glorious resurrection? That day when all of the troubles of this world will be wiped away. And we will live forever in glory with Him. Oh dear friend, imitate the godly. Those who seek such things as these. Imitate the godly and be worthy of imitation. Let me say that again. Imitate the godly and you be worthy of imitation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Dear friend, are you imitating Christ? Are you Christ-centered? Are you trusting in His righteousness? Are you looking for that day of His return? Are you waiting for that? Longing for that? Are you investing in the kingdom here and now in this church that God has called you to? Look around. There are people here who are young in the faith and they need godly men and women to whom they can look and follow and imitate. Is your life worthy of imitation? Are you imitating Christ? Are you one whom Paul can say, keep your eyes on this guy. Keep your eyes on this gal. Follow their example. Be prudent in choosing whom you imitate. For many solicitors of your admiration will lead you down the path of destruction. Whose example are you following? Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, that we would be found faithful we who are citizens of Your kingdom, Lord, oh, that we would be found faithful seeking godliness. Seeking to be a godly example for those who, who look to us. Yet how easy it is for us to get off track. Lord, I know for many of us it may be the fact that we've been off track and we wonder, how in the world could I ever have a life worthy of imitation? Oh Lord, let us be like Paul, forgetting what lies behind, looking forward to what, looks ahead, what is ahead, striving to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, may we be a church who seeks after You and strives to set an example of godliness to one another and to our community. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.